Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. We're about to enter the week preceding Resurrection Sunday that Miss Shannon was referring to as Holy Week, or we can call it Passion Week. And when we hear the word passion, we usually think of uh, strong emotion or intense, passionate love. But the word passion came from the Latin, which originally meant to endure suffering. And for Christ, Passion Week encompasses both strong emotion and some really hard suffering. And in today's message, I'm going to try to bring out some of that as best I can. There's really no words that can describe everything that Christ went through for us. Uh, He not only went through it physically, he also went through it spiritually. The same suffering he did in the physical realm, he did in the spiritual realm and the soulish realm as well, which is the mind, the will, and the emotions. And so we're going to look at that this week. And, you know, in Jesus' life, Passion Week began with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem riding on a colt of a donkey. And the crowds were, uh, of people were laying before him their cloaks and palm branches, hence Palm Sunday. That's where we get the name Palm Sunday. And it was a fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy where he said in Zechariah 9 and 9, he said, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So it was not only... uh, a triumphal day for Jesus when he entered Jerusalem that day, but it was prophesied that he would do that exactly like he'd done it on, on the, uh, the foal of a colt, and he did it according to prophecy. He did it according, uh, he was fulfilling prophecy. And so the people hailed him as Messiah and King, and they're shouting like the song we sang, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, But by the end of that same week, they were crying, crucify him, crucify him. Same crowd, same crowd that was saying Hosanna in the highest and was praising him for being their king. Just, you know, a few short days later, they're saying, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas and crucify him. And, you know, as his week of passion progressed and the crucifixion grew nearer and nearer, there's a few significant things that are worthy of mention, mention, and one of them is the anointing of Jesus by Mary of Bethany, actually Lazarus' sister. And he celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples, and we looked at that last week, and he also experienced the betrayal of his friend Judas for 40 pieces of silver. Now I'm going to tell you something. Pastor Flint, counsel in... Uh, Freeport, Illinois, at the True Vine Worship Center, he preached a message last week called Betrayal. And I'm telling you, I thought I understood betrayal until I heard that message last week. You really need to tune in to his website, or Facebook. He's on Facebook Live as well. But go to True Vine Worship Center and look up last week's message and listen to it. It was really good. He talked about the betrayal and the 30 pieces of silver. I gleaned a lot from that last week. But anyway, on the night that... They shared this Passover meal. Jesus shared his pain at the thought of not only the upcoming torture, but also of his separation from his father for the first time in eternity. You know, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have been together since, if there was a beginning, they were there. And now Jesus is going to come to earth and take on the form of a man and die on a cross in our place as our substitute which means that he's going to be separated from his father for the first time in eternity. And he not only suffered physical death, but he suffered spiritual death because that was part of the penalty. You know, when you're you're lost and you're not born again, 
you're in spiritual death and that's separation from the Father. Now, we tolerated. We didn't know we were separated from the Father until we heard the gospel, heard the good news, and got born again, and we were reunited with the Father. But Jesus went to the cross in faith, not knowing if he'd ever be reunited with the Father, not, not knowing 100% sure if his sacrifice would be accepted by the Father, if his blood was pure enough for the sacrifice. And so he did all of this in faith, and he did it for us. Hallelujah. I mean, he was, he was uh, the, uh, the darling of heaven, the darling of glory, like the song says that we sing. And he laid aside his robe, his scepter, his crown, and he left heaven for us. And he took on a form that was even lower than the angels that he commanded. Why? For the purpose of being able to suffer death. And he suffered death for us who uh, were the guilty ones. He never did anything wrong. He never sinned. And yet he died for sin. So it wasn't his sin he died for, it was our sin. Amen? And that's what I want us to experience as we go through this message today. But he uh, had that last supper, the, uh, the Passover meal with his, his friends and his disciples. And then afterward, Jesus took his disciples to Gethsemane where he prayed. They didn't pray with him. They fell asleep twice. He prayed, and the reason he had to pray is because of what he was facing. He had to do what we call pray through. He had to pray, pray through until he got the strength and the courage from the Father to go through with what the Father had planned for him. And, and then following his arrest and several sham trials and brutal beatings through that night and then into the next day, Jesus was finally crucified. And that's the way the Bible describes it. It's just a few short words. It says, and they crucified him. But there's volumes in that little sentence, volumes of things that we need to know that we don't see. And they crucified him. It sounds way oversimplified. And then after he died, he's placed in a tomb. But when the tomb was visited three days later, it was empty. His body was gone. He then appeared to Peter then the 12, after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at one time. And then of James, and last but not least, he appeared to the apostle Paul. So there's no doubt about his resurrection. He proved it. It was a proven resurrection. Amen. He didn't just disappear and everybody just wonder if he was resurrected or not. He proved to them that he was resurrected. And then... Uh, the next Sunday, this coming Sunday, is Easter Sunday, but we like to call it Resurrection Sunday because that's really the, uh, the day on which Christians are celebrating not the Easter bunny and the little chickadees and the, you know, the colored eggs and the jelly beans and all of this stuff. We ain't celebrating all of that by itself. We are celebrating it for our kids, but we're actually celebrating the empty tomb and the resurrection of our Savior. Now, all those things that he did would have been for naught had he not been raised from the dead. Because the resurrection was the proof. Brother Hagin used to always say that the proof of the pudding is in the eating. You can tell me all you want to about how good it is and all of that. But until I taste it for myself, I don't believe you. And that's the way it was with the resurrection. You know, we have to taste it for ourselves. But this is what we're celebrating. The resurrection was the proof of the pudding. And it's the greatest celebration of the Christian faith. Uh, no one else can celebrate a resurrection because to the best of my knowledge, which ain't a whole lot, but to the best of my knowledge, I don't know of any religious leader or a founder of any religion. And there's some big religions I'm not going to mention. I don't want to get shut off today. But there's, there's uh, enormous religions with millions of followers whose founder died and stayed dead. So I don't know of any other religion that celebrates a resurrection. And next Sunday marks the end of Passion Week. Today is the beginning of Passion Week. Next Sunday uh, marks the completion of Jesus' suffering. And some people say, well, his suffering ended on Good Friday when he died on the cross. No, that was when his spiritual suffering began. 
And he spent three days and three nights in the bowels of hell, uh, spiritually speaking, with his soul, his mind, his will, and his emotions. He was fully conscious of what he was doing there, why he was there, and what had to be accomplished. So his suffering didn't end until he was resurrected. Amen? So next Sunday marks the end of his suffering. And Passion Week gives us opportunity to take some time out of our busy lives and meditate on some of the things that we're going to be studying today, some of the things that we're going to look at today. And it will help us to realize all that the Lord suffered for us and what he went through on our behalf, and we'll have a greater appreciation for him. Uh, And this morning, I'd like us to read from the book of Isaiah a description of this week, the suffering that Jesus endured, and what was accomplished through this suffering. But before we begin, I want to share with you a couple things. When Jesus was born, unlike other founders of other religions, his coming had been preceded by 2,000 years, 2,000 years of prophecies that declared how he would be born, where he would be born, how he would live, how he would suffer, and how he would die. I mean, it was all there. For 2,000 years, it was prophesied. And I'm not talking about a few obscure prophecies either. I'm talking about over 300 prophecies concerning Jesus that were told with uncanny accuracy. And the bulk of them were told by the prophet Isaiah. And we're going to read just one chapter today, chapter 53. And it's going to describe Passion Week and some of the things that he suffered. The prophecies in Isaiah are so accurate that the book, if you were reading it for the first time, you would think it was historical because he described it as though he was looking back at the suffering that Jesus uh, endured and back at the crucifixion, back at the cross. And, I mean, it was like he was telling us an historical event. That's how accurate it was. And I want us to remember that the book was written almost 800 years before any of these events took place. So keep that in mind as I read it. I'm going to read the whole chapter of Isaiah 53, and I'm going to read it in the Amplified Classic Edition. Isaiah says, Who has believed, trusted in, relied upon, and clung to our message of that which was revealed to us? And he's talking about the gospel. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been disclosed? For the servant of God grew up before him like a tender plant and like a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, royal kingly pomp, that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. There was nothing attractive about Jesus. He was just common man. He was despised and rejected and forsaken by men, a man of sorrows and pains and acquainted with grief and sickness. And like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we did not appreciate his worth or have any esteem for him. Surely he has borne our griefs, sicknesses, weaknesses, and distresses, and carried our sorrows and pains of punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God as if with leprosy. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities, the chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him, and with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has made to light upon him the guilt and iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, yet when he was afflicted, he was submissive and opened not his mouth. In other words, he did it voluntarily. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who among them considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken to his death for the transgression, For the transgression of my people, Isaiah's people, to whom the stroke was due. 
In other words, everything he suffered, it was not due him, it was due us. And they assigned him a grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of God or the will of the Lord to bruise him. He has put, to him, put him to grief and made him sick. When you and he make his life an offering for sin, and he has risen from the dead in time to come. He just predicted the resurrection. He shall see his spiritual offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will and pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the fruit of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. And his knowledge of himself, which he possesses and imparts to others, shall my uncompromisingly righteous one, my servant, justify many and make many righteous, upright, and right standing with God. That's us. He made us righteous and right standing with God, upright. For he shall bear their iniquities and their guilt with the consequences, says the Lord. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great kings and rulers, and he shall divide the spoil with the mighty, because he poured out his life unto death, and he let himself be regarded as a criminal, and he numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore and took away the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors, the rebellious. Hallelujah. Can you see how it almost looks like he's talking about something that had already, already took place, and yet it's $800, $800 years before it took place. And Isaiah is often called by Bible scholars and translators the messianic prophecy. You know, the messianic prophet, because so much of his book was uh, dedicated to giving detailed information about the coming Messiah and how and where he would be born, his life, his ministry, and his death. And from a historic standpoint, we can safely say that no other prominent person in history, past, present, and future history has ever been written about with any amount of detail in advance of his birth. Some people, their birth was, you know, predicted or their birth was announced because the woman was pregnant. So they said she's going to have a baby. They're going to call him John. But that's all they knew about him. But yet with Jesus, we have all this detail and it's accurate detail. And it all came prophetically. And Isaiah 53 is primarily prophetic about this upcoming Passion Week that we're about to experience and what Jesus would suffer and how he'd be treated by not only the Roman soldiers and the religious leaders of his day, but also by some of his most dedicated disciples, followers, and friends, some so-called friends. And it also tells us that everything he did was substitutionary. And, uh, and that's important to us because we're the ones he was substituting for. He says, you deserve physical death, spiritual death, soulish death. But I'm going to step in for you. I'm going to take your place. I'm going to pay the penalty uh, of death or the wages of uh, uh, the penalty of sin or the wages of sin, which is death. I'm going to take your place. I'm going to pay that for you. Yeah. So you don't have to pay it now. You'll be in upright, you'll be upright and in, in, in right standing with God. I'm going to make you righteous. You can't make yourself righteous. I'm going to do it for you. Because I'm going to become unrighteous like you so that I can take your place. Pay your sins. Pay for your sins. And so uh, Jesus suffered from the hands of the Roman soldiers and the religious leaders of his day as well. You know, in the Old Testament, they would have the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. They would take two goats, and one of them they would send into the wilderness to die at the hands of, I believe it was the devil that would uh, absorb that animal, and he would carry the sins of Israel. And then they would lay hands on another one, and then he would, uh, the sins would be spiritually transferred into him, He'd be sacrificed on the altar, and it would atone for Israel's sins for a year. So in other words, uh, two parties had to lay hands on him in order for the sins to transfer. There was only two types of people in the world back then. It was Gentiles, and it was Jews. 
And so when Jesus was taken in the Garden of Gethsemane, both the Roman soldiers and the religious temple guards took hold of him. And when they did, the Roman soldiers laid hands on him, and the sins of the Gentiles were transferred into Jesus. And the religious leaders grabbed hold of him, and the sins of the Jews were transferred into Jesus once and for all. And that was the fulfillment of the Day of Atonement and the sacrifice of the two, uh, two lambs on the Day of Atonement. But it also tells us that everything he did, like I said, was substitutionary, which makes it important to us. And all of his suffering, the shedding of his precious blood, his death on the cross was all done for you and I, not for him. Uh, for example, Isaiah declared that this Messiah would be, as we read, despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and familiar with suffering. He said he would be one from whom men hid their faces that he would be despised and he would not be highly esteemed by us or looked upon favorably or with admiration and respect. And it was true at the time of his cru crucifixion, and it's even more true today. If you stop and think about that passage of Scripture, he's even less respected today, less esteemed today. And Isaiah said that this Messiah would die a substitutionary death and be cut off from the land of the living. In other words, he would go into the bowels of hell itself. He would die spiritually because he's separated from the Father, and he would, he would do it for the people that he was dying for and that he would pour out his soul unto death. That's more than physical death. He said, they said, Isaiah said he would pour out his soul unto death. His every fiber of his being was poured out unto death. And Isaiah said he was to be condemned to die with wicked men, but he would be assigned a grave with the rich. And that's just something that didn't happen. And if somebody read about that in advance, they say, that'll never happen. That's not going to happen. Uh, he's going to wind up in a potter's field. But when Jesus died, two wicked thieves, one on each of his sides, were crucified with him. And yet, even though he was condemned to die with the wicked, his grave would be among the rich because there was a man, a follower, a believer by the name of Joseph of Arimathea who donated his tomb to Jesus, and his tomb was in a cemetery that was reserved only for the rich. No, no poor person could afford to live there. No criminal could afford to uh, be in that cemetery. So that's fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. And the most astounding thing that Isaiah prophesied is that this Messiah, after dying, was not going to remain dead. Not to, from beginning of time to this time here, they don't know of anybody that was raised from the dead. And yet Isaiah, 800 years before this, is saying that this Messiah is going to be raised from the dead. So that would have been hard to believe because nobody ever seen a resurrection. And, you know, some people say that, you know, Jesus was the first fruit amongst many brethren. In other words, he was the first one to be really raised from the dead. And, and people say, well, he raised the widow of nuns, uh, uh, the widow of none, he raised from the dead. And he raised Lazarus from the dead. And, uh, but he really didn't. He just restored them to health. He just returned their spirit to them. But they were still spiritually dead. They were just raised to life to do what? Die another day. But Jesus was raised to life, spirit, soul, and body. And so he never had to die again. That's a real resurrection. That's a real uh, raising from the dead. And so mankind had always believed in some kind of afterlife. I mean, even with Pharaoh, you know, he would be buried with treasures and his pets and all kinds of pleasure because he believed in an afterlife and he wanted all those things with him when he lived in this other dimension or whatever they, they believe. But uh, they would even believe in reincarnation, but they would come back as something else. And uh, nobody ever believed in a bodily resurrection of your own body and coming back as yourself, but in a better form. And yet here's what uh, Isaiah is prophesying. Uh, the founders of these other religions, which I won't mention, they did have some good things to say, and they made some valuable insights. They said some really wise things in that, 
But they didn't have God's stamp of approval or God's stamp of authenticity. Jesus did. Jesus had many good things to say as well, and he taught some of the highest moral standards that anybody had ever heard of before. And he was probably one of the wisest religious leaders, if you will, that ever lived. But above all else, he came in fulfillment of prophecy like what we read in Isaiah 53. He came with God's approval and his stamp of authenticity, and he was the real thing. He was sent by God, and that gives Jesus prominence over any other religious leader that ever lived and will ever live. And Jesus was not just a good man or an ordinary prophet or teacher, as some religions would have us to believe. Uh, some religions don't believe that he is a, uh, the son of God, that his blood was any more valuable than anybody else's, uh, that he was a good prophet and he was a good teacher and he was a great man. But we have to understand he was the son, is the son of God. But it wasn't his teachings or the fact that he was a good man, a great prophet or teacher that made him great. It was his willingness to die for us in our place that made him great. And, and uh, that's what made him our Savior, and that is what changed our eternal destiny. The Bible says in Titus 2.14, Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And that's pretty much the theme of Isaiah 53. The Messiah was to come as a sacrifice for his people, and his death would have the power to redeem us all out of wickedness and purify our lives. And that's what happens when you got born again. It's nothing you could do. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough good deeds. You can't make yourself righteous. Accepting his finished work, his substitutionary work, is what makes us righteous. Because we stand in his righteousness, not ours. Isaiah said ours is as filthy rags. So we don't want that kind of righteousness. We don't want man's righteousness. And then Isaiah said it was by his wounds, his suffering, his death that we could actually have hope in this world because up to that point, there was no hope in this world. There was no hope of an afterlife. There was no hope of a resurrection. And, and these are the things that we should observe and meditate on this coming week. Maybe even fast a little, fast from something. Meditate on these things. Uh, I got a little thing in my uh, Version Bible app, and it's, it's all about things to meditate and pray on during this coming week. And I do like one a day. And so I'm going to do that in addition to whatever else the Lord leads me to do. But Jesus took that beating. And I don't want to minimize it. I want us to understand exactly what he went through. Uh, because we think, well, you know, uh, a lot of people took a beating. A lot of people got crucified. Yes, that's true, and I don't want to minimize the crucifixion either. But what I'm saying is that nobody got crucified like Jesus got crucified because he was crucified spiritually, physically, and uh, in the soulish realm. Everything about him was crucified. And uh, anybody else that, got, that was crucified and died, they either went to heaven or they went to paradise. But it was much more at stake for Jesus. But he took that beating and went to the cross because he loved us and we, we really mattered to him. You know, if somebody matters to you and you really love them, you'll take a beating for him. Amen? You'll even go to the cross for him. You'd be willing to die for him if you really loved them and you really cared for them. You remember Jesus said that there's no greater gift that a man laid on his life for a friend. There's nothing more noble than that. And that's exactly what he did for us. And that word friend in the Bible, usually when you read it, it has to do with covenant. It's covenant language because you don't become a real friend until you cut covenant with somebody. And so we had a covenant with him, have a covenant with him. So God loved us so much that he was willing to pay the ultimate price. Remember John said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so uh, it's, that's what it's talking about here. And about 800 years before Jesus was ever born, Isaiah told us exactly what would happen. 
He told us because we needed to realize that the Messiah was going to be more than just a good teacher or a prophet or a good man. And we needed to realize that the Messiah was being sent by God to suffer and die for our sins. He paid the wages for our sins, and we have to realize that. And uh, nobody else ever did that. Other people got whipped, other people were crucified, but nobody ever satisfied the demands for sin. Jesus did. And we needed to understand that the punishment he would endure for our sins would literally kill him, body, soul, and spirit. See, I don't know if you realize it or not, but your soul consists of the mind, the will, and the emotions. So when you die, you're not separated from that. You're a spirit that lives in a body, and you have a soul. And so when you die as a Christian, you go immediately to heaven. Absent from the body is present with the Lord, Paul said. But you not only go to heaven in spirit, the real you, you take your mind, your will, and your emotions with you. You remember everything. You remember this life. You remember everything you did, didn't do. You remember all the people that you knew. You remember your children, your parents. You remember everything because your soul goes with you. And here Jesus had to die spirit, soul, and body. He was in total death. Nobody in all of time, ever did or ever will experience total death, not like Jesus did. So he, he voluntarily did this for us, died in our place, died for our sins. So the prophet Isaiah is seeing him into the realm of the Spirit, and he sees how Jesus took our place and became our substitute, how he was judged for our sins and our iniquities, and that he was doing it because he loved us and we mattered to him. And he died for the sin of all mankind, past, present, and future. Isaiah said he was smitten of God and afflicted. In other words, God is the one that smote him. God is the one that afflicted him. And those standing around him could see what was happening to him outwardly, but they had no idea what was happening to him spiritually and in the soulish realm. They seen him physically scourged and beaten, and, and he was beaten with a cat of nine tails. And that it was a whip with nine tails on it, and at the end of each tail was something sharp or something hard, like a stone or a piece of glass or a piece of sharp metal, something that when the whip hit him, it would tear his flesh away from his body. Now, a lot of people believe and preach that Jesus had 39 stripes. But that was a law of the Romans. They said he could receive 40 stripes, save one. In other words, the maximum amount of strikes you can get or stripes you can get from a, a religious uh, leader or something religious like the, the temple. You know, you did something wrong and the uh, chief priests assigned you 39 stripes. Well, you, all you could receive is 39 stripes by Rome, by, by, uh, Jewish law. But when it come to the Romans, they had no restrictions. They had no laws. And so they could whip him all day and all night if they wanted to. And I know for a fact he got more than 39 stripes or 39 lashes. And then even with that, you got to multiply it by nine because it was a, a whip that had nine tails on it. So we can't even imagine the beating he took and the things that he suffered. And they seen him scourged and beaten with their cat and nine tails. They seen him slapped and punched and spit on, seen his beard pulled out, seen the crown of thorns pushed onto his head, and they finally seen him nailed to the cross, but had no concept of what was really going on behind the scenes. And what they didn't realize is what was happening on the outside was very typical of what was happening on the inside and what was happening in the spirit realm. And it wasn't Jesus, uh, wasn't what Jesus went through physically that redeemed us. That was only a part of it. Jesus had to offer himself spirit, soul, and body because we had to be redeemed spirit, soul, and body. And, and uh, you see, man is a threefold being. Like I said, he's a spirit. The real you is a spirit. You live in a body and you have a soul with the mind, the will, and the emotions. And so man needed more than just physical redemption he needed redemption on every realm and sin affected every part of man's being 
And so he had to be redeemed, spirit, soul, and body. Spiritually, he was separated from God. Soulishly, if there's a word like that, man's mind was in fear, torment, and anguish. And physically, it affected his body with sickness and disease and eventually death. Now, I'm going to say something that you have to take with a grain of understanding. If you're suffering any of these things, if you're suffering spiritually because you feel you're separated from God, soulishly because your mind is in fear, torment, or anguish, or physically because it affects your body with sickness and disease, if you're if you are experiencing any of these things, I'm not condemning you, but I'm telling you these are things that you were redeemed from. These were things that Jesus suffered for us. Amen. But Jesus went to the cross, spirit, soul, and body, so that he could redeem us, spirit, soul, and body. And if he just redeemed our spirits, for example, we'd have no bodily resurrection. Or we would have no concept of who we are or why we're here because we'd have no soul. We wouldn't remember anything. He wouldn't have a mind, no will, or emotions. If he just redeemed our bodies, then we'd still be separated from God spiritually. We'd still be in spiritual death uh, because we'd be abiding in it, just like we were before we were born again. If he offered his spirit for our spirit, his soul for our soul, his body for our body, he obtained for us complete and total redemption. We were redeemed spirit, soul, and body. We were brought back from the penalty of sin and death, the whole penalty. You know, God told Adam in the day that you partake of that fruit, you shall surely die. Well, he didn't die physically, so he was talking about spiritual death, which is separation from the Father. And Adam suffered that the moment he ate that fruit and was expelled from the garden, he suffered spiritual death. And we suffered spiritual death after that because we came from Adam's loins. So we're born into spiritual death. And the only thing that will fix that is being born again a second time spiritually. And so we're redeemed from spiritual death. But then we're left with the mind. And so Paul tells us that we have to conform the mind transform the mind and, and not be conformed to the world, but transform our mind to the word of God. In other words, our mind wasn't saved. Just our spirit was saved and our body wasn't saved. That was reserved for another time. And so Jesus had to make sure that he obtained redemption in all three of those realms so that at the resurrection, we will have a resurrected body, a resurrected soul and a resurrected spirit. We'd be completely 100 percent whole but listen to this now they tied him to a whipping post and the roman soldier struck him blow after blow after blow with that cat and nine tails and i'm going to tell you he groaned in pain at every lash he felt every lash and when that whip these romans these uh, roman soldiers were professional scourgers they did it for a living and when they would crack that whip, they would overextend the whip so that it would come around, wrap around to the front. And those claws and that glass and stuff would dig in and then they would pull that whip back and it would tear the flesh around and tear it completely. And they did this to his face, his, the front of his body, his back, everywhere. They just beat him to a pulp and the flesh was being torn from his body. And Isaiah said that Jesus was beaten so badly, uh, I think this is Isaiah 52 and 2, his appearance was disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. In other words, it wasn't that they couldn't recognize Jesus, they couldn't recognize him even as a human being. That's how bad he was whipped. He, he was so marred, he looked like just a, a, a bloody pile of pulp. But what we don't realize is what was happening in the spirit, to him in the spirit realm. And the judgment of God was striking him in every realm, just like the Roman soldier was. Isaiah 53, 4 tells us that he was judged, stricken, 
smitten of God and afflicted for our sins. It was as though God was cracking that whip in the spirit realm himself. And then it said it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And you'd wonder how could it please the Lord to bruise him because God could see beyond the judgment. God could see beyond the crucifixion, beyond the penalty, beyond the pain and the suffering. He could see Jesus rising triumphantly from the dead and then taking us with him in victory. When Jesus, in God's eyes, when Jesus was crucified, we were crucified. When Jesus was buried, we were buried. And when Jesus rose from the dead, we rose with him. God didn't just see Jesus. He seen billions of his followers coming up right behind him. He seen the big picture. So it was more than what he was doing to Jesus. And he could see that it was the only way that we could return to him and once again be in right standing for God once and for all. Not like with the animal sacrifices, which were just temporary. And he could see how we could be healed physically, how we could rule and reign with him in his kingdom. And here's the thing. When we quote 1 Peter 2.24 or Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, that by his stripes we were healed, by his, Peter said, by his stripes you were healed, this should have much more meaning to us than it does. Because when you hear of the stripes, you need to think of that whipping that Jesus took for our healing, the whipping he took to make us whole again and healthy again and free from sickness and disease. And if we don't think of it like that, we're not going to appreciate it as much as we should. Amen. Well, it's easy to say by his stripes we're healed, but do you really understand and realize what it costs for us to be able to say that? What it costs Jesus. But, you know, we're what kept Jesus on course. He was looking at us and he was saying, I can do this. You know, we all have to have a goal and we all have to have a motivation for something. And Jesus' motivation to go through everything that he went through was us. He kept looking at us. He kept looking at the end result. He said, if I don't do this, they're going to die and go to hell. I've got to do this. I can do this. I'm able to do this. And it kept pushing him through. And Hebrews 12, 12 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, you and I are the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He could see your face and my face. He could see our redemption. He could see us whole, uh, spiritually whole and in body and soul. And when he was on that cross, as the song goes, we were on his mind. He kept saying, I can do it. I can do it. The Bible said that he endured all of this, and yet he opened not his mouth. You don't realize how important this is, because Jesus could have opened his mouth at any time and appealed to the righteous God in heaven, the throne, uh, the throne of heaven, the judge of all the universe, and he could have cried out and said, I'm innocent, and his father would have vindicated him because he was innocent. And in Matthew 26, 53, he says, don't you know that I could ask my father in a straight way he would send me 10 legions of angels? Or 12, actually 12 legions of angels. And, and so he could have appealed to the supreme judge of the universe anytime he wanted, declared his innocence, and said, I don't deserve this punishment because I didn't do the crime. And God would have sa- sent them angels and saved him. Amen. He could have opened his mouth and cried out for justice and those angels would have came. And we can't even imagine how horrible it, it all was. It was beyond our understanding. And yet he took it like a lamb led to the slaughter, never opened his mouth. Now, even when, when Pilate was questioning him, Pilate says, he didn't say nothing. And Pilate says, don't you know I had the uh, authority to crucify you or set you free? And by the only thing Jesus said was, the only authority you have is the authority my father gives you. In other words, I'm here because I want to be here, not because of anything you did or think you can do. I'm here voluntarily. I'm taking this beating voluntarily. I'm taking this shame and abuse voluntarily. I'm going to this cross voluntarily. And he reminded them 
of that in Gethsemane. When they came to arrest him, they said, he said, whom seek you? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. And what happened? They all fell backwards. Why? He's letting them know the only way you're going to take me is if I voluntarily go. Amen. And the second time they did it. And then he let them put hands on him because he had to fulfill the two, two lambs or the two innocent sacrifices of the day of atonement. But he was being sacrificed for the eternity of atonement. Once and for all, hallelujah. So we can't even imagine the things that he suffered. It's beyond our understanding. You might think you understand what he suffered, but we don't have the slightest idea. I mean, the things that he suffered, and uh, not only physically, but spiritually. When he was tied to that whipping post and he took that beating, he took that scourging, he suffered greatly and didn't open his mouth. Now, I'm going to tell you, if that was me or you, you'd open your mouth after the first, maybe even before the first blow. As soon as he raised his hand back, you whoa, 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 whoa. I don't deserve this. <laughs> I, I was going to take this for my brother-in-law or my, my cousin, but I, I changed my mind. And they would have had to release you. But he didn't open his mouth because if he would have saved himself, he would have never saved us. He couldn't have saved us if he'd have saved himself. That's why we have to understand this sacrifice was voluntary. He did it. Uh, God was looking for somebody that he could send, and Jesus is the one that says, send me, I'll go. I'm the only one that can sacrifice for these people. I'm the only one that's going to have the blood pure enough for this altar. And so he came voluntarily. He suffered so we could be saved, so we could be healed. He took the punishment so we could be set free. And because of what Jesus did for us, because he did it as our substitute, and because he was already punished for the crime that we committed, nobody else could be punished for that same crime. Now, you know I'm a law and order aficionado. <laughs> and if you're convicted for a murder and they later find out I did it, I can't be convicted. Why? You already paid the price. Jesus paid the price for your salvation, for your freedom. Yes. Nobody else ever has to pay it again. He paid the price for your sicknesses and diseases. We don't have to pay that price. It says that he bore our sicknesses and diseases. He bore our pains. What's that mean? Same thing as law and order. If he bore it, you don't have to bear it. If I carry your groceries... That means you don't have to carry them. Why? Because I already carried them. Yes. He already carried this stuff for us. What's that mean? I don't have to carry them. Yes. Amen? Amen? And, you know, uh, about the only thing I might have to suffer is physical death. And that's so short, it's pathetic. I mean, you close your eyes and then they're open again. It's like a blink of an eye. When you die, you'd be like stepping out of that body and say, oh, that wasn't so bad. Look at that dead thing laying there. That's death. I mean, it's, I, I hate to say this. I don't want to say it's no big deal. It's a big deal if you ever lost somebody. But for me, for you and I, physically, when you die, it's like blinking eyes. I don't mind if I have to taste that. I believe I'm going to be here when Jesus splits that eastern sky and never taste of death. But if I do, it ain't no big deal. Ain't no big thing. I'll close my eyes in death and open them in life everlasting. Amen. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. Just like that. Hallelujah. I'm not afraid of death. I ain't no hurry to die, but I ain't afraid of dying. Amen. Jesus took that from me. He took that fear from me. My mind is not in torment. Amen. I'm not suffering. Jesus took all of that for me. And he took death for me, too. That's why when I close my eyes, I know I'm going to open them again. Why? My founder rose from the dead. And he said, if he rises from the dead, so shall we. So if he never rose from the dead, I'd be sweating it a little bit. I wouldn't be real sure about me being raised from the dead. Amen? That's why I don't follow a religion that has a dead leader. 
where the founder is still in the grave, a pile of dust in the grave. I don't follow a religion like that. I follow a religion that promised me a resurrection and proved it by being raised himself. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You don't know how privileged and, uh, that we are being Christians and, and what it costs for us to be able to call ourselves Christians. And how do we know that justice was satisfied? How do we know that that uh, sacrifice was accepted in heaven? You know, we had the Old Testament tabernacle, and they'd kill that lamb, bring that blood in, and, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And if God didn't accept that sacrifice, they'd stay in their sins. But if he accepted it, then their sins would be forgiven for a year. They'd have atonement for a year. So how do I know when Jesus took his blood into that heavenly uh, tabernacle and laid it on the mercy seat? How do I know it was accepted? How do you know it was accepted? Come back next week and I'll tell you. Hallelujah. That's all you're getting today. Come back next week for the rest of it. Next week will be part three, the resurrection. Hallelujah. Because, I mean, you know, this is... He's crucified on Good Friday, and he's put in the grave. That's a sad, that would be a sad narrative if that's where the story ends, but it doesn't end there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Praise you for the revelation we received today. I pray that every one of us has a better understanding of what Jesus went through in our place as our substitute for us. I pray that everybody understands the phrase by your stripes, we are healed more than they did before. I pray that everyone realizes the price that was paid. You said that the wages of sin is death, but nobody realizes what those wages were and what the cost of that sin was. I pray that we have a better understanding of that now. It was more than just the shedding of his blood. It was everything that led up to the shedding of that blood. And that blood was not only shed at Calvary, that was where the the, the most of it was shed. That is where the, uh, the rest of it was drained out of his body. But he shed blood all along the trail on, the, on that day, uh, a good Friday, as he was headed towards that cross and the crucifixion. He, he shed blood at the whipping post. He shed blood with that crown of thorns. He shed blood from the beatings he had. He shed blood from carrying that cross, and he shed blood on that cross. Every drop, he poured his soul out unto death. And I pray we have a better understanding of that and a greater appreciation of what he did for us. He gave it all for us. Every bit, he gave it all for us. So we thank you and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. We love you and appreciate you. Facebook, as always, if you thought that was a good message this morning, go ahead and hit the share button. Share it with some of your friends. Uh, we love you and appreciate you. We'll see you next Sunday. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord. Lord.